and we're back. Uh, hey, everyone. Thanks for bearing with us through the month of March. Uh, kind of nothing came out in March, and also this takes a lot of time, and we do it for free, so it was nice to have a little bit of a break. Um, but welcome back to Real Perspective. This is the podcast based on a YouTube show based on a podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Michael Morey. And this week we're here to talk about the latest Spielberg film, uh, Ready Player One. Um, but Mike, what did you do with your time off? Uh, what did I do? I played some video games. Okay. Um, and I continued working on our upcoming movie. So um, I went and tried to go and immerse myself in that and figuring out the plot directions of that sort of stuff. And I generally avoided the cinema because most of the movies in the cinema look like trash. Game Night was great. Uh, uh, okay. That one was really good. I, I actually, we tried to uh, get a, a bonus episode for you guys on that, but everyone that I wanted to guest was super busy. So life happens, but uh, yeah, it was, that one was probably the best movie that's been out in a while. Um, it's easily the best studio comedy in like half a decade, if not a decade. Uh, it's really good. Um, it's really well plotted and shot like a freaking John Wick movie. It looks sweet. Like they, it's it's a good movie, man. All right, I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, um, yeah. Did you watch anything at home? No, I kind of felt like I just spent most of March hanging out with people and going to various places. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I actually don't think I watched too much in the way of things I hadn't seen before. I think I rewatched a couple movies that I like. Okay. Like, but I can't remember what those are. So. <laughs> oh, we watch, we, oh, we just yeah. watched uh, Winter Soldier. Right there, we go. Yeah, I knew, like I knew there was a movie that I really, really liked. Yes, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was uh, that was my first time seeing that since theaters. So in two years at least. Um, wow, that's a good movie. Yes, it is a really good movie. Can we like just spend the podcast talking about that movie instead of the movie we have to talk about? Uh, give it three weeks, <laughs> and then we can talk about it. Fair <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Man, that movie holds up real nice. It yep. is so good. Yep. Um, but we're not here to talk any about, about any of that. We're here to talk about uh, Ready Player One, which is the latest film from Steven Spielberg. I think this is the second or third time we've talked about a Spielberg movie together, Mike, mm-hmm. on the show, at least. Yeah. Um, there's... Before we get into the actual movie, there's a couple things I want to touch on, both in regards to the source material and the sort of man behind the camera. Um, you know, Spielberg often considered the greatest living director, um, kind of earned it, I would say. Um, you know, anyone who releases Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year is uh, a madman. Yes. So um, he's definitely earned his spot in... He's he's absolutely a living legend, I would say. Um, there's been this idea that Spielberg's been, quote, going downhill lately. Um, Mike, do you agree or disagree or... Uh, I don't know. I don't agree with it. He's just made movies that are less mass audience friendly. Mm. And less personally interesting to me as mm-hmm. well, I'd say. Uh, no, they're not bad movies. I think they're like well-made movies. I just think um, he's in a different phase of his career where he handles more mature subject matter and more adult stuff. And not to say that I'm into the childish stuff, um, but uh, the things that I think people originally loved him for are things that you don't see as much from him. So it seems like he's in a decline. 
Yeah, I agree. He's more into making Jimmy Stewart movies now than anything. Yeah. Just He's just like, oh, Tom Hanks, your new Jimmy Stewart. Here yeah. you go. This is a movie <laughs> with Sarah Jimmy Stewart. You play the Jimmy Stewart part in this movie. Uh, something like Bridge of Spies, something like The Post. Uh, mm. um, very, very much, a, even something like The Terminal, Yeah, I think, which is a movie I think is super underrated. I think it's one of the most underrated Spielberg movies. I think that movie is great. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he... Here's how much of a madman Spielberg is. They couldn't film in the airport uh, because it was post 9-11, like pretty soon after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So they just, he just paid to rebuild the hangar. Like he just paid to, he paid to rebuild the terminal, the JFK terminal in an, in an actual airplane hangar. And that was the set they used for the movie. Nice. Because Spielberg money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's so ridiculous. I, okay, I, to go maybe give some like credit to the idea that he is in decline. I think that the kind of movies that Spielberg is most known for, which are you know these big blockbusters like E.T. and Jaws mm-hmm. and Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, they're all types of movies that only he could really make. I feel like, yeah. And then I feel like his dramas are movies that, while he adds a special touch to them, are dr- movies that other people could make, and so. Yeah. It feels like a waste of his talents. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. There's actually... Um, uh, Film Crit Hulk has a really good article about um, this. It's about how The Revenant sucks and Bridge of Spies is awesome. Yeah. and uh, Which are two like completely different movies. But he basically has this idea that any of these sort of like adult-oriented dramas that mm. Spielberg is making, if a first-time director made them, we would be like who is this Mm. like he's such a good it's so easy for him to make really good movies at this point that we almost take it for granted Mm -hmm. um whereas you know if someone like you or i who and we had an interest in directing when it made a bridge of spies as our first or second movie it would they would immediately be like ones to watch list yeah um but i don't think he's lost that edge necessarily you know i think he's He's just interested in telling these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, his movies really are personal to him. Yes. Um, which I'm interested. That's probably the aspect I'm most interested in talking about in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Um, his his movies, you know, I always feel like he leaves a part of himself on the screen. Um, whenever I see a movie like The Post, uh, <laughs> I said it was an unsubtle movie. Uh, it's very much him talking about Donald Trump. Like that's yeah. that's one hundred percent, no bones about it, uh, what it is. But it's yeah, I mean that's fine. Like you're, he's allowed to do that. He's an artist, and artists are allowed to talk about what they feel like. Yeah. Um, and I think he does it with uh, certain nuance that that you know the, he has this uh, uh, reputation for being super on the nose, and that's not necessarily untrue of something like the Post. Mm-hmm. But I think he does it with more nuance than a lot of folks would. Yes. Um, you know, he's a very measured filmmaker mm-hmm. and i think that measuring as times have gotten a little more tumultuous seems a little rote yeah. at this point to a lot of people uh, but i think he's just like hey let's talk about this for a second mm-hmm. um and so i think i think just people in mass aren't like on board with that mm-hmm. um you know there was and also we haven't what's the last adventure movie he did crystal skull yeah that's basically. the last kind of big actiony thing he did mm-hmm. um and that was 10 years ago at this point um and it was kind of poorly received yeah uh so at the same time it's kind of like well maybe these mass audiences don't know what they're talking about like you know mm-hmm. um 
because it's clear that Spielberg was not necessarily interested in making that movie. Um, I don't know if he was not interested in revisiting Indiana Jones. It doesn't seem like that to me. I think he wasn't interested in that particular story, that Indiana Jones story. Um, If you watch the special features, there are two 20 minute features and they're both him apologizing basically (laughs) and kind of putting it all on George Lucas. Mm -hmm. Um, Like he basically says that he found every excuse in the book to not make Crystal Skull for like uh, 15 years. Yeah. Um. Like, it was Independence Day had come out, and he was like, well, they just did Aliens better than anyone. Like, we we can't do it. And then uh, he wanted to make it right after, uh, Lucas wanted to make it right after um, Star Wars, Episode 3. And he was like, well, I just made War of the Worlds, so I don't really want to do, like, an alien thing. And Lucas was so persistent that he was like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think... Uh, that, you know, even though it's easy to be cynical about Indy 5 coming and I don't think uh, they should do it for sure. But I, I think that he's still interested in revisiting that character. I don't, you know, when Spielberg says he's going to make a movie and it's something that is one of these big blockbustery cash grabs, I don't necessarily know if he sees the dollar signs in it. No. Um, because he's got so much money already, yeah. for one. And two, I think he views filmmaking as... Uh, storytelling you know it's a story he wants to tell absolutely i mean if you look at his probably two worst movies which are crystal skull and i would say lost world Mm. those are both two movies that he didn't really want to make yeah and it shows so um he kind of needs to have passion in the project and believe in it yeah yeah even something like temple of doom which is you know some people consider weaker Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg. I think it has great set pieces at the very least. Yes. Um, which is something that uh, Crystal Skull only has one of, I mm-hmm. would say, which is the motorcycle chase. It's not even that he didn't want to make that movie. He was going through a divorce and was like angry. Right. Okay. So, exactly. So it's like he's coming from a dark place and it shows up on screen. Mm-hmm. And then like his bad movies is like he's coming from a bad place that he doesn't want to make them and it shows up on screen. Like he's very emotive. It's like it translates directly to the films he makes. Yeah. He makes. So um, that's the thing about him. Yeah. So um, on the flip side, we have this book called Ready Player One. It came out in 2011. It's uh, by an author named Ernest Klein, Ernie Klein. Uh, He is, I I don't, he's a writer, I guess. He's done some screenwriting. He wrote the movie Fanboys. Um, But this book kind of, when it came out, it was like a thing with like nerd people. Mm. Um, It was a thing for a while. Um, and the basic setup of the book is, uh, there's this sort of second life VR thing called the Oasis that has been made available to free for, um, for free to the people at large, to the masses, um, just a basic setup. And then you can buy upgrades mm-hmm. to the, the, the setup. It's super advanced stuff. It's, you know, very haptic, mm-hmm. um, you know, very responsive, um, but also in the, the the reason it's kind of caught on, everyone kind of lives in the Oasis now and the real world has kind of gone to pot. Um, not as a result of overuse of the Oasis, but as a result of um, bad wars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this sort of Steve Jobsy uh, virgin guy, what's his name? Richard Branson-y uh, guy at the heart of it called uh james halliday and he dies and he basically says you know um 
Easter eggs in video games have been a thing since the days of Adventure on Atari, and I've always loved that, so I've hidden this Easter egg within the Oasis, where if you pass these three challenges, you will get control of the Oasis. Oh, the sort of a Willy Wonka-y thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, and Halliday was super into 80s pop culture stuff, so it's, you know, the year 2045, but um, he has really made sure that 80s pop culture stuff has been ingrained in it. So most of the Easter eggs and stuff are 80s pop culture themed. A lot of the worlds in the Oasis are, you know, themed around certain 80s things. And some of the challenges in the book, uh, movie and book are completely different as far as the challenges go. But like the first challenge in the book, he has to like fight a wizard from Dungeons and Dragons and then beat him in a game of Joust, Mm. um, the video game. So like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about this guy and then there's like uh and he's like i can do it because i'm a teenager or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. a ya novel and um there's like an evil corporation called ioi that are trying to get the easter egg so they're just kind of hiring they're farming out basically um the hunt for the egg and hiring these people and keeping them in poor conditions uh to just for the goal of of um the egg so it's kind of this race to the egg essentially and sort of you know the scrappy team of people who have found the egg on their own mm-hmm. and the you know the 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 corporate uh bad guys who are sort of paying to to have the egg and them overcoming that it's pretty basic stuff uh it's bad yeah. <laughs> um it's uh, on paper it's actually a pretty good idea yes i think it's a solid premise i think so um the book is, it's really bad. Uh, I really did not enjoy my time listening to Will Wheaton read this book. Uh, I listened to it at work. It was a, like an audible free thing. It's a forever book, man. It's like 16 hours. Jeez. The audiobook is. And that kind of story should be maybe five and a half. Yeah. You know, it's this thing that should move pretty fast. Um, and it doesn't. There's a lot of world building. Like... I saw uh, 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 Red Letter Media's review. They, the the guy had read the book, and he said he's pretty sure it's like, and he had read it pretty pretty recently before the movie. He said he's pretty sure it's like a quarter of the book is world building at the beginning, and I was like, that feels right, man. Yeah. Um, but it and it's the world building isn't even social commentary, so it's really stupid. And this is weird, a weird place for me to be in. I haven't read the book. I've read excerpts from it, which was enough. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, you've probably heard me on the Star Wars podcast talking about the importance of world building and how they've kind of bungled it in the new movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's sometimes where it's too much. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, why are you even giving me some of these details <laughs> yes. at this point? Yes. <laughs> like, it's not being even directed toward a theme or a character beat Well, or and anything. none of it comes back in yeah. the thing. It's just like, here's why the real world sucks. Yeah. Here's all the history between Halliday and his port- his partner named Ogden Morrow. Like, we get all of that. It's so front-loaded. Yeah. And um, the sequences in the book were that are actually, like action-y or like him going after the gates are pretty good they're like pretty good you know yarn type uh you know airport airport style books like a dan brown something or Mm. other you know i think you know it's it's people crap on dan brown i had a phase in high school where i was super into that guy and i think it's because he makes books that kind of move at a clip you know um he's got a good sense of pacing in Mm -hmm. his novels at least um 
And I think that goes a long way when you're reading a story, especially yeah. a story that's, you know, sort of globe trotty or universe trotty um, to sort of have short bursts of, of, of um, the narrative happen. Yeah. And, and Dan Brown writes, sometimes he writes half a page long chapters and you're like, what? Why? <laughs> Why did you do this? But it helps it helps break it up to where it feels like you're actually like propulsing through the story. Yeah. And Ready Player One has long chapters, like long stretches of beginning a chapter to ending a chapter and you're like this is torture mm-hmm. um it's, it's it's and the the prose is really bad in a lot of the downtime mm-hmm. um i mean i sent you the excerpt where it's just a list yeah. it's just a list of eight things that exist mm-hmm. i wasn't caught up in all the classics went to watch the raiders of the lost ark obviously and then i watched the goonies it's also really smug the, yeah there's a smugness to it and that i hate weird yeah I don't know. It just feels very odd um, how it reads. Yeah. And so, but the book like was, it caught on, man. Like Mm -hmm. it it was a thing and it was kind of a matter of time before it became a movie. I'm surprised it took this long, even though it's only been seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that's surprising about it is, you know, Spielberg and his movies play heavily into the novel because, well, Spielberg's kind of the king of 80s movies. Yep. Um, you know, if if you like an 80s movie that's not directed by John Hughes, Spielberg probably directed it or produced it. Um, and Spielberg isn't... He's, you know, the king of nostalgia, but he also isn't one to be the king of his own nostalgia. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't super like bringing up his stuff necessarily. Um, with the exception of like Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones feels like that's kind of for him. Yeah. Um, but, but he, you know, he rarely does sequels to stuff. He, um, isn't, he doesn't give off an air that he's super interested in talking about some of his projects sometimes. (laughs) Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, not reclusive, but he just kind of likes to keep moving forward. Yeah. And, uh, Ready Player One is, is, is a piece that's kind of full of nostalgia for his films, among other things, for sure. But it, it, it seemed really strange when it was announced that he would direct this movie because of how much he figures into uh, the plot of mm-hmm. it. It was really weird. Yes. It's a really odd choice. Um, and I still... I have a theory, which we'll get to later. I have a theory about why he did this movie. Um, but I really can't put... I don't know. I actually really can't figure it out. <laughs> um... I think he wanted to work some stuff out through Halliday. Uh, maybe. Um, That's the most compelling part of the movie. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, by a long by shot. By a long shot. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, uh, Spielberg's also a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves video games. He's produced a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Were they any good? You would know. Okay, Boom Blocks. I heard was really good. Okay. Yeah. Have you played either one of his games? No, I want to. I should okay. have. Dang it. But no, like Boomblocks is this Jenga-esque game or whatever that everyone was like, this game is sweet because you played it on the Wii and there's like the motion control. Oh, that is cool. But um, weirdly enough, you wanted to go make more like narrative stuff, but then that never materialized. It was like the really gamey game stuff materialized. Huh. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know too much about him as, quote, a gamer, mm-hmm. um, but I know he... You know, his office has always had arcade games in it. He goes to, like, E3 almost every year. Yeah, I knew that. He's, like, into it. Like, yeah. it's it's a thing for him. Kind of mm-hmm. like Robin Williams and Warhammer 40K. War, uh, Robin Williams is a gamer, too, actually. Yeah. Um, and 
so I think that may have informed it. You know, he hasn't done a video game movie. I don't know if he would, he would ever do a straight video game adaptation mm-hmm. of it. Um, he's claimed to be a fan of the source material. Um, you know, there's a clip of Comic-Con where he talks about when he read the book. And it kind of makes sense that he would have read the book independent of someone being like, hey, you should make this movie because he's a gamer. Yeah. Um, you know, and and, and the, the book is kind of aimed squarely at, at gamer people. Yeah. Um, so... It seems, I mean, like I said, I don't think he, it was in, I, I don't think this is a paycheck gig for him. I don't think he does those, um, but it's, it's just really odd. It's just a really odd, odd film for him to do. Um, but we got the final product of it. Um, you know, there's some interesting challenges along the way with it that I think you could see as a filmmaker. Um, a lot of it's heavily CGI'd and he... Has worked. He hasn't done too many animated things. He did Tintin, and that was about it. Yeah. Um. And so it could have just been like a stylistic exercise of like, oh, I want to do like an animated thing again, like a big. Yeah, I kind of like, feel like there's just like a big motion capture exercise that he wanted to go. Yeah, through. like I want to make my avatar kind of yeah, or something like that. Experiment with that stuff. Um. You know, and and I kind of respect that. Yeah. You know, to just kind of push yourself as a filmmaker, um, and do stuff. Um, I, I like that. I like that, you know, he's pushing 80, if not already 80. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just kind of seeing what he can do. Yeah. Um, seeing how to challenge himself. Uh, and it's... Uh, the end result is, like, fine? Yeah. We're, we're beating around the bush to get to the point, which is... Eh. <laughs> I think that's why I've been putting off talking about it. Because there's not... It's no, like, not whatever. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Eh. I mean, I, do, is we, it a, do we want to talk about the plot? Yeah, I mean, is it a good movie? No. Is it a bad movie? No. I was like, all right with it. Yeah. That's like as strongly as I could feel about it walking out. Yeah. So the plot of the movie is kind of the same. same. Um, the big changes are in the challenges themselves. So in the book, the the I actually don't remember the third challenge. The first challenge is the wizard and joust. The second challenge, he has to uh, like pass the are you a robot test from uh, Blade Runner. And then he has to um, go through the entire movie of War Games as Matthew Broderick's character. But he has to have memorized the entire film. So it's kind of like this weird uh, karaoke thing where he's like, he has to say the dialogue at the right moment in the scenes. And it grades him based on, like, how accurate it was. Like, how uh, the timing of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, in the, and then the third challenge, I don't remember. Um, there's a room full of video game consoles. I remember that yeah. part. Um, I was so exhausted with that book at that time uh, that I don't really remember it. Uh, so, sorry if you're screaming at the thing. So, as an avid non-fan of... The source material. This movie's a banger. Like compared yeah. to compared to where it came from, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of that has to do with Spielberg. Um, yeah, just the movie is just kind of structured a little bit differently, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah, and I guess I mean a lot of my problems come from the source material. Even the things that they changed, I think, still come from the writing. Oh yeah, uh, the script is a damn mess. Yeah, it's uh, atrocious. I'm it's sorry. really like, bad. There's like some weird dialogue man throughout the whole thing 
Ernest Klein wrote the screenplay. He co-wrote the screenplay with Zach Penn. So, yeah. uh, um, bad writer made a bad screenplay. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Okay, there's like one line in there. It's like indicative of other things. And it's not the worst line probably in the movie. But it's like, you killed my mother's sister. Oh, yeah. What, who the hell talks like that? <laughs> you say, you kill my aunt. Yeah. <laughs> so they also like, the way the movie, the way the script reveals information is bananas yes um so first off it's it sort of employs this narrative device for like 30 percent of the movie and then kind of never comes back to it <laughs> and like he addresses the audience directly like, he breaks the fourth wall one time ever and they never get back to that um it's like at the beginning he says you know check this place out mm-hmm. and you're he's talking to the audience yeah. and there's no there's no explanation for that um he talks about living in you know these sort of stacked um mobile homes called the stacks um in columbus ohio and he lives with his aunt after his parents died but then he says that crap again later in the movie like he says that twice in the yeah, narration there's just okay the beginning of the movie just has so much re- repetition yeah like, they have, like, what is this, uh, five-minute, at least, like, monologue, just setting up the world. Mm-hmm. It feels like it goes on 20 minutes yeah. to me, though. Yeah. Just, uh, this movie isn't so complicated and needed that much explanation. Yeah. And I don't, like, I don't get it. It's just, like, we live in the future, the future sucks, we use virtual reality, we make money off of that. Like, Okay, I just summed that up in what? Like 10 seconds? Yeah. Why did it go on so long? Yeah, there's like one little line that's kind of efficient world building. I was hoping for an opening credits montage that kind of shows through like newspaper clippings. Yeah. I think that would have been a lot better. Yes. <laughs> um, but there's one little line that I actually thought was like a good way. He talks about like the bandwidth wars and the other kind of wars. Mm. Yeah, there's like two wars. I, I don't think it was a gas Race war. Race wars. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> yeah, against Dom and that, that's Oh, the, that uh, race war. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Dom. <laughs> we went two different directions with that. <laughs> uh, oh, where was your mind? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> race wars. Um, yeah, turns out Helter Skelter, totally right. Manson was onto something. Who knew? Um, I'm no, it was in the Fast and Furious Ten, obviously, <laughs> which is just a race war. Yeah. Surprise! <laughs> this is a really strange direction for them to go in, especially because of how like effortlessly they've done diversity up to that point. But yeah, this is all a ploy, all part of the larger plan. It's just one big punchline. Yeah. It's all been leading to the all roads lead to this. <laughs> That'd be pretty good, though. I'd be like, all right. (laughs) That's a freaking 20-year setup. (laughs) Just, like, becomes American History X. (laughs) It's just called (laughs) Fast X. (laughs) (laughs) This All of this is better than... Yep, this is is the dumbest, though. Um, anyway, so there's one little line where he's like, and then two wars happen, and now the future sucks. And I was like, okay, that's, like, efficient. It's, yeah, like, yeah, one yeah. line lets me know there are a couple wars, and now the world looks like this. Yeah. Um, and uh, other than that, man, it's, yeah, it's forever dialogue. Uh, and then, like, so 
there's these there's this like stupid nomenclature that they the the, the oh, people thank you for so bringing this up. there's like they, they they call the easter egg hunters gunters like egg hunters i don't know but, but like but like under no circumstance would people go and conjugate or not conjugate contract it yeah to that yeah so that's from the book yeah um but it's crazy the way they reveal it in the movie because he uses the word gunter uh-huh. says some more stuff then says the word Gunter again, then explains what Gunter means. And I was like, okay, yeah, hold yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> like the placement of information and explanation is all effed up. Right? Yeah, yes. it's crazy. And, and, and that's like that throughout. Like, yeah. it's not just like nitpicking about little things. It's just like, that's so dumb. Like, why would you introduce this concept in that way at this time? Yeah. In this particular location, localized entirely within... <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's yeah. so, oh man, it's such a frustrating script. And there's like other dumb stuff in there too, man. There's like just really bad lines of dialogue. Yeah, like, and I'm not one to go and complain about dialogue that much, but there's just oh really? A player knows a hater. No, a fanboy a fan knows boy. a hater. Oh, see, even, I, I can put a better line than that. <laughs> yeah, this for real. <laughs> um, and there's like dumb, like I like. I understand the movie has to be full of references based on the mm-hmm. source material. But some of that crap, man, is so dumb. Yeah, it's, it's real dumb. There's like the... like The world building is dumb. Yeah, it's really bad. It's There's like the, the holy hand grenade from Monty Python. And like mm-hmm. that's a... It was stupid, but mm-hmm. like that's at least a little bit forgivable because it's like a thing already. Yeah. There is this one item that he buys that it's a Zemeckis cube. Yeah, so he uh, he buys this thing that looks like a Rubik's cube, and it's called a Zemeckis cube. And I was like, that's stupid. It's a Rubik's cube, but it's called a Zemeckis cube because Halliday was obsessed with the '80s. But he doesn't say what it does when he buys it. Yes, he just buys it. And I was like, okay, this is a stupid thing. So then they end up in a fight with the IOI, IOI people at this dance club, and he's like, oh, I have a Zemeckis cube. It turns time back sixty seconds. And I audibly went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, if I were like a douchier person, I would have spent this whole movie just making so many jerk off motions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, okay. So not only is like that dumb, but to me, it's like they don't explain what it, like what it does until they use it. Yeah. And that to me is like a violates like a cardinal like rule of writing which is that you should go and like Chekhov's gun yeah Chekhov's gun like go (laughs) explain like what that thing is when he bought it like it just sounds to me like that's a it's like a first draft mistake where it's like you come up with an idea and then you're like uh shit like I, I introduced this too late and now I'm using it so in the second draft what you do is then you like put the explanation that you used there and you put it earlier mm-hmm. so then it's like oh like they set this up this isn't that difficult to do yeah. like you write a second draft and you just go <laughs> put the explanation like cut paste and then put it like over there yeah and like yeah. there's so much of that like okay almost all the tasks are, mm-hmm. are filled with things that like you as an audience member you can't like be filling in the mystery or like figuring out the mystery along with the characters because there's so much information being withheld from you they don't mm-hmm. even reveal until like it's time to go and like figure out the puzzle and it actually that's the book is that way too and it actually kind of works in the book and for mm-hmm. some reason in the movie it's it, like it does, it not, does not at, at all. all no and because 
To me, I'm just like, well, I don't care about these characters figuring out this mystery because the movie's not giving me the tools to figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's bad mystery writing. Yeah, in the book, I think it works a little bit better because it keeps you turning pages yeah, of yeah. like, let me find out when they find out. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it's like, okay, I need to be tracking with this a lot better. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the, the gates in the movie are like a literal race, uh, which uh, I don't get. Like, I, I didn't... There's no indication that... You know, the idea is that this is Halliday's favorite stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's no indication that he was into racing I, the, at yeah. all. I, I don't know. It's... You know, the, one of the, a lot of the reviews I've been reading say that he... They, they've updated them to be more about Halliday's personal life. And that's true for two and three. Mm-hmm. But one, I don't understand the connection there outside of the way they figured it out with like the office party yeah. sequence. Um, the task itself. But the task itself of being like a literal race, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first task is this race. Well, to... I mean, besides just being about race horse. <laughs> yeah, oh... <laughs> The first task is this race, and it's, like, through the city and stuff, and um, there's, like, wrecking balls. It's super hard. There's wrecking balls and, like, the T-Rex from uh, Jurassic Park, and then King Kong shows up, and no one can get past King Kong at the end. And then Parzival, who's the main character, uh, he figures out to, like, go backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when he goes backwards, this sort of shortcut opens up, and he goes underneath all that stuff and ends up at the finish line. Um, And... He tells his friends in the game how to do it, or they figure it out, or whatever. And it creates this thing called the High Five, uh, which they don't use. They use that name all the time in the book. They don't use that name till the last scenes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really stupid because I noticed I forgot that they were called the High Five because it's been several years since I've read the book. And at the end, when they're like they win, spoilers, mm-hmm. and they're they're celebrating. Um, there are people outside the the truck that they're they're. Uh, like winning in that are holding signs and one of them says like high five mm-hmm. and i was like oh i forgot about that and then they just start calling them the high five oh yeah from that I, point that forward register with me i completely forgot about that but now i'm like holy crap yeah like I, I had no idea what the hell they were talking about at the end of the movie like the high five what it's like, the five people yeah, yeah okay. so there are five people that are kind of like against uh right. I-O-I and you <laughs> They, how is that not a line in the movie? <laughs> right? Like, that should have been. Come on. That's so easy. Crap. Um, and so there's like, the, the you know, the, they're the five people who are, quote, on the scoreboard. Yeah. And uh, it's it's Parzival and his friend H and then this uh, other female hunter, I've refused to call them Gunters, uh, named Artemis. And then these um, two Japanese, in the book, I believe they're siblings. Um, uh called Sho and Daito, yeah. I think. In the book, they're, like, across the globe, and they, like, meet up under desperate times, like, in The Secret at the end. In this, they're just kind of all living in Columbus, I think. Yeah. I, uh, so, like, let me get this straight. Like, all the most important people in the world are located in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Including the massive corporation. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. It, dude, that's the other thing, is it feels like there are chunks of the screenplay missing. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden they're all hanging out together in the game and like we don't see that at all mm-hmm. as a matter of fact the script goes out of its way to talk about how Sho and Daito like they're kind of chummy with them but they don't really know them that well and then they become like the high five and but we still don't really know them in the yeah movie. yeah like all of a sudden they're going to the shining 
Yeah. Together. Like, they should... Yeah, what was with that? It's so weird. Yeah, he meets up with Artemis in real life uh, after IOI tries to, like, kill him or whatever. And then she goes, oh, crap, like, I figured out the the, the clue. And so we need to, like, go to Halliday's journals and figure out this thing. But then all five of them go. And it's like, well, hang on. Like, so far we've only seen Artemis interact with H Mm -hmm. at her shop. And that's it. Like, we have yeah. not seen Artemis interact with Show and Daito at all. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they're, like, running around being a clan together. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, what happened? Yeah. This took a huge leap forward. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Yeah. So many shortcuts taken. And yeah. That, this leads to my feeling of not connecting with any of the characters. Yeah. Like, I didn't really care for any of them. Yeah. Well... <sighs> They're all just kind of like... There. Yeah. Well, like, the two main people are so uninteresting. Yeah. Like, Parzival and Artemis are so, like, just, like, boring. They're boring. They're so boring. And they both look just like stock white people. Like, they yeah. look like default skins of white people. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is, like... This is really nitpicky, but this whole thing about Artemis having a birthmark and feeling like she's ugly and yeah, and, and you'll be disappointed how I look. I thought her avatar looked ugly, and then yeah, like, and like I see her, I'm like, wait, she's like way better. Than yeah, avatar. yeah, like, right. Huh? I mean, like, right. and I know that birthmarks can make people feel self conscious and and not really be realistic about themselves, mm-hmm. how beautiful they can really be, blah blah blah. But it was just like uh, this doesn't work. Yeah, no, they didn't set it up right. The like, I feel like H and Show and Daito are more interesting characters. Like, yeah. I wanted to spend more time with them. Yes. They all had like cooler angles. Like, mm-hmm. you know, H was like this, you know, black woman, mm-hmm. and um, Show and Daito are like these Japanese kids, and like mm-hmm. one of them was literally eleven. Like, yeah. And it was like, what? Like, that's that's crazy. You know, it was yeah. it was more. It felt more in line with the premise of like you can be whoever you want in the Oasis. I feel like the main character should have been the eleven year old kid yeah honestly yeah <laughs> it, just, it just feels more right with yeah. the premise well they so the the, the movie made him older yeah. oh. he's 20 in the movie or something stupid like mm-hmm. that he's like 18 or 20 in the movie and in the book he's like 14 or 15 okay. um like he goes to school in the oasis oh, okay. um the first egg is on the like the oasis planet that his school is on mm-hmm. um I, I thought that was a really weird choice too yeah so I don't know. I don't care about any of them. Yeah, and their adventure and like yeah. And then you get into the second task and the, and the shining part's cool. I guess we yeah. can talk about that. Yeah. So the tasks are you know um, like I said the race uh, go Which backwards. Which is well filmed. Like the, the set pieces are like great. Right. Like that's the thing is you know Chris had in the plot Spielberg like directed the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah he did. But it's, it's still uh, but it's like literally still shit. Yeah. Like, like in terms of the plot. Yeah. So, it, I, like, how much can you polish up a turd? Yeah, no, for real. Every, it. like, every... Spielberg's still, like, top of his game on this. And, like, the CGI looks cool the for, CGI like, The CGI looks really good. Well, Way okay. better than the trailer. Okay, here's the thing, though, is... It looks good, but aesthetically it looks bad. Mm-hmm. I don't like the character designs. Okay. Like, I don't like... I don't like the actual, like, art mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. I think the CG is well made and mm-hmm. convincing, but, like... I think the characters look really garish. Mm. Like H, I think it's just like a gross character. Oh, I like design. H. I like H's character uh, design a lot. I, know, I like, like the like mechanical like separate torso. See, like, no, that doesn't appeal to me. This is like kind of gross. And I felt like in Artemis's like the big eyes and all that stuff. Yeah. It just like was not working for me. It didn't feel like 
aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, I I think they should have done more with having them look more like I don't know. I don't know if I want to say this. Having them look more like pop culture touchstones. Yeah. Um, because I feel like that's closer to how like people use that kind of stuff online. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like the the for as kind of like dumb as like the the this is getting ahead of ourselves. As dumb as like the Mecha Godzilla and Iron Giant part kind of mm-hmm. is. It's also like kind of what people do when they mod a game. Right. You know, they so put it in feels stuff that they like. Yeah. Recognizable. Yeah. yeah. So I almost feel like that should have been like a thing mm-hmm. more with those main characters, at least some of the side characters. Yeah. Um but as far as like pushing the technology to its limits, I think he did. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like he does really cool stuff with the camera. Yeah, he does. Like cuz you can tell like first of all, he can use a camera very well in real life. Yeah. But with both Tintin and this movie, you can tell that like he likes the idea of really freeing the camera up yeah. and just doing crazy stuff with it. Yeah. Um, and like drawing your eye toward all kinds of things. Well, and the action is like, so, there. the frame is so packed with stuff, but it's yeah. like not incoherent yeah, at it's all. it's legible stuff. Yeah. The, the race is like, cool like the the first scene with the race i was like whoa this is kind of dope actually right and even though that i'm kind of now desensitized just constant cg all everywhere Mm -hmm. i still was impressed with that well it's kind of baked in yeah to you know it's it's baked in enough to where you kind of have to accept it um and plus like just the way he like flips the camera around these cars and like mm. switches your perspective of like you said drawing your eye of like oh now you're following H on the Akira thing but yeah. now you're following the DeLorean that Parzival's in and he's like doing all these moves where he's like crashing the IOI guys and like flipping his door open yeah. and catching all their coins and throwing it into his gas tank it uh, looks dope man yeah. like it looks so cool yeah, it and it's like there's these wrecking balls and then the T-Rex shows up and then King Kong's there mm. and then like they stop and like her the Akira bite goes off the thing and then boom there's Kong's hand and you're yeah. like that's a really well constructed set piece like yes. they put a lot of time and effort into mm-hmm. that and I think the shining sequence too mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's this cool like remix yeah. of of that um, so the second one is is the second challenge is that they have to go into the shining and find uh, the 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 quote the one that got away for Halliday mm-hmm. she's hidden in the uh, the ballroom of the shining mm-hmm. um, and it's because. He took her to see the movie mm-hmm. um, on the only date that they had, and then she, she wanted to dance. She wanted to dance, mm-hmm. and so and then he didn't. Uh, she wanted to dance, and he took her to a movie instead. Mm-hmm. And then his partner Ogden Morrow, uh, played by actually a pretty good and underused Simon Pegg, yes. <laughs> um, uh, he wanted. You know, he ended up with her, mm-hmm. and so it kind of caused a rift between them a little bit. Um, so that's actually really deeply connected to Halliday, and I like that. That's yeah, probably yeah. my second, my favorite gate as far as like connecting to the entity that is Halliday. Yes. Um, and so they have to like go into The Shining, and it's the sort of like video gameified version yeah. of The Shining, but Where also he's trying to kill them. Yeah, and there's like he he's added like zombies to it and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was kind of waiting. I was like, did they get did they get image rights to Jack Nicholson? They didn't. Yeah. Um, but you know because you see like the axe come through the door and like there's this really great bit in there where h hates terrible or hates uh scary movies Mm -hmm. and so she hasn't seen it um and so she doesn't like know what to expect in the shining and so she's like constantly getting scared by all this stuff and i thought that was like a really great way to set up this sort of uh especially for like uh 
uh, people who haven't seen The Shining, because like it's like a fifty year old movie at this point. Yeah, and I thought it was a uh, no, it's not. Mm. It came out in nineteen eighty. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was a really way, great way to set up people who are unfamiliar with the source material of, like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's a bunch of creepy stuff in here. And, mm. like, but also for people who know The Shining, like, there was an audible, like, oh, man, mm. uh, I knew what it was going in. I had read a spoiler about it, so I was, like, pretty hype about it. But when it got revealed in there, and they, like, when they first walked in, even I was like, holy moly, like, this is, it's about to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because there's, like, this xenophile, like, nerd thing in me of, like, oh, this is Spielberg, like, riffing on Kubrick. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so there's, like, that layer of it. And then, uh, once again, just sort of the way he films the action and, like, all the, like, the, mm-hmm. the blood, the, the, the blood flood um, yeah. through the thing. It's just really, like, coherent and, like, cool looking with a ton of stuff going on and, um you know he tells the story really well of like oh look at the picture on the wall that you know from the ballroom that's the last shot of the shining that's actually jack nicholson this is halliday and uh the girl like it's it's really well put together sequence i think um i think it's the best sequence in the movie as far as delivering on the themes of the movie what little there are and um you know actually a little bit advancing the plot getting to know halliday is like a person a little bit more and like just being cool yeah uh, I agree. I think it went a little too far. Like, there was, like, a part where, like, the zombie lady was doing stuff. And mm-hmm. all, I was just like, well, okay, this is, like, getting... Like, this is getting beyond just being, like, a shining reference. And it's, like, getting to this weird space to me <clears throat> where it, like, got way too over the top. Oh, okay. Um, that kind of took me out of it. But then, I mean, I liked the rest of it. I just thought that that was, like, not very fitting with the shining, too. And I know okay. it's kind of becoming its own thing, but... Yeah, I don't know. It just it didn't sit right for me. I know it's widely considered to be like the best part of the movie. Yeah, I liked how kind of delirious the whole thing yeah, was. Yeah, maybe um, that's what it was. It had that tone to it. Yeah, and then you know because you you go from that and then like H leaves room two thirty seven yeah. and then she's in the she's in the hedge maze and there's like all kinds of axes coming yeah, at that her. That was the part where I was just like, okay, like too much. Oh, I kind of yeah. liked that sort of. I liked how video gamey it was. Mm. I liked how it kind of was like this is The Shining, but it's still a video game. Mm. Um, I liked all that stuff. Um, and so then the third one is just like in a castle and it's finding the Easter egg in adventure. Yeah. And then meanwhile, there's a giant battle happening. Yeah. 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 Um, which I don't know how I feel about that final one. It's a little anticlimactic given how like cool yeah. the first two are as far as like how they look like there's no dynamic way to shoot an atari game you know yeah. <laughs> and the final battle is kind of boring too yeah it, it was it's kind of shot in a very perfunctory way yeah um i mean okay as a gundam fan i was cool with the gundam <laughs> that was cool as a godzilla fan i was cool with mecha godzilla right. showing up so, so i get it right so it was like, okay, that part was well done. Like, that's like actually probably some of the best robot on robot fighting I've seen. Yeah. On anything, because Transformers sucks. <laughs> um, so, beyond that, though, yeah, it was kind of just, all right, gotta wrap this movie up. Almost. It did have the best line of the movie, though. Mm. It's fucking Chucky. Oh. Okay. I thought that was great. Yeah, that was a good line. Um, he also, so there is, there is, 
the stuff that happens in the final battle that made me laugh, and I was the only person laughing in the theater, where he like cuts to the real world and just yeah. like these people doing these stupid moves in stupid the real world. VR moves. Yeah. yeah, and it made me laugh, man. I yeah. thought it was hilarious, and I was like, "You guys know this is a joke, right?" Yeah, like, I feel like they knew that. I, I feel like that was the intent. No, I meant the audience. Oh, the like audience. it's clear oh. to me that the intent is that it's supposed to be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. The audience was just like, neat. Yeah. Get back to the CGI. Like they didn't really, it didn't really land with my audience. It was, it's actually like subtly the biggest slam of VR. And, oh and the yeah. Reason why, like, it's going to be very hard for that to ever take off until yeah. like you don't look like a dork wearing those. Things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that's a separate conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, there's this final battle going on, and then there's like this. Uh, they have to get into the castle, and the castle's got this force field in it. Oh, we haven't talked about Irock because he's useless. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, he, uh, you know, they go in there and they beat Adventure, but then, uh, but, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Norton? What the hell? Uh, mm. Serastro? Mm. Sinestro? Are we talking about? George Soros? What is his name, man? The, the main business bad guy? Yeah, Sorrento. <laughs> I would say main business bad guy. <laughs> His name's Sorrento. MBB. Um, Sorrento's avatar. Sorrento's the guy who runs IOI. And awesome it's kind of cheese. Oh, no, no, Sargento. <laughs> <laughs> no, he directed uh, 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 Suspiria. Oh, wait, that's Dario Argento. Um <laughs> He's like, his avatar uses this thing that blows up the whole planet and it kills everyone. And then you find out that this coin that Parzival got earlier in the movie from the butler at Halliday's journals was actually an extra life. Um, way different in the uh book, mm-hmm. he gets it by he goes to this one planet that he thinks is a challenge mm-hmm. and he plays Pac Man until a kill screen mm-hmm. and then he gets the quarter. And he's just kind of like, that was weird. Like, nothing happened with the wizard and, like, I, whatever. And then he finds out at the end that the quarter is the extra life. So that's actually in the book. Um, blew my audience's mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, it was actually one of those things where when I saw the coin flip, him flipping the coin to uh, Parzival in the, is in the trailer. And I, it was one of those things that as a, someone who read the book, I was like, oh, they kind of spoiled that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, when it came back, like there was an audible like, ooh, uh-huh. from, from my audience. And I was like, for real? <laughs> uh, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, and then he gets into, you know, he, he finds the adventure Easter egg. He goes into Halliday's childhood bedroom mm-hmm. and has this conversation with Halliday that's basically like the glass elevator conversation from Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um, more or less. And then he has control of it and he wins. And the High Five decide to share the company among themselves and they close the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays because reality is better than virtual reality. Uh, so you can make out with people. And then the movie's over. And that's kind of it. It's like not, I, it's fine. Yeah. The performances are kind of up and down. Like, yeah, I, main, main guy? What is his name? Ty Sheridan? Yeah, what? Yeah, he... <laughs> I don't know if he's necessarily interested in doing blockbuster movies, because he's been in a few indie movies, and I liked him way more in those. Okay, because he had a really bland affect in this Yeah. One, and it, he's also made a career out of wearing visors. Hmm. He's Cyclops in those new X-Men movies. Oh, he is. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, well, stop playing blind people. Yeah, that's. 
Um, the Megan Cook is that her name? Olivia Cook. Olivia I think. Cook. Okay, she was all right. Yeah, but I feel like she's actually really good. I think she's really talented. Yeah, I, I could see some of that. Yeah, I think if she were, I want to see something else with her in it. Yes, I don't think we got a fair look at who she is as an actress. Um, Ben Mendelsohn, I liked as a villain more in Rogue One than this movie. Yeah, uh, he's just kind of like generic evil business. Yeah, guy. he's just like business, business, yeah. business. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the age is all right. She's cool. Yeah, she was probably the best character in the whole movie. I yeah. thought. Um, um, Mark I, Rylance is pretty good. Yeah, okay, he's the best part of the movie. Absolutely, by far. Um, Simon Pegg's pretty good. I actually yes. was kind of like. Can I get like a Bill Gates drama with like Mark Rylance and Simon Pegg? Is yeah, that's actually really cool. Um, yeah, like Mark Rylance, who is uh, Spielberg's newest muse. Yeah, yeah, he's been in everything since Bridge of Spies. Um, he he did a really good job. Some yep. compared him to like, what if Garth was a video game designer? And so I was like what? So. <laughs> Garth from Rain Wings World. Yeah, so I had a friend, uh, uh, Emily, who's been on the show. Yeah. She hated this thing. <laughs> and uh, I texted her all the like dumb stuff from it. Um, <clears throat> you sure you had enough like data on, in order to go and text all that dumb stuff? <laughs> she said... Uh, I don't think it was a good movie at all. I rolled my eyes a lot. And I said, you wrong. <laughs> and then I said, Zemeckis Cube. Holy hand grenade. A fanboy knows a hater, Emily. And then I said, also, they played We're Not... Oh, we didn't talk about this. They played We're Not Gonna Take It right when they weren't gonna take it anymore. I hated that. Yeah. I hated that. Really and the needle drops were like kind of subtle in the movie. Mm-hmm. They were on the nose, but what I liked about it is Spielberg kind of felt like, well, they need to be in here, but I'm going to make them real low. They were like yeah. all the, the, the pop songs were the lowest volume needle drops I've ever heard in a movie, mm-hmm. except for that one. Yeah. Um, and then I said, and also asked the important questions like, what if George Lucas was Steve Jobs, Garth from Wayne's World, and Willy Wonka? Oh my god, yes. Um, so, okay, we're going to get into this. This is my theory. My theory is this movie is uh, Spielberg examining George Lucas. Yeah. I really, really, really 100% believe Halliday is George Lucas. Oh, you mean like a creator who's very introverted and gave away the keys to the kingdom? Yeah. And is now questioning that. (laughs) Well, and is just kind of like, he's like nearing the end of his life, right? Like he's, dude's pushing what, 79 or 80, something something like that. And, uh, you know, nearing the end of his life and kind of, obviously looking back like anyone would in that situation, but like the way George Lucas looked back is not the way anyone else who has ever existed looks back on their life. Um, And sort of just questioning whether or not it was all worth it, especially given like what the people he gave this thing to have made his thing from his perspective i don't know man it, it i think there's a that's a solid argument i think so i think I, I read that i read one person was like oh he's george lucas somewhere before the before the movie and that's all i could think about i was like oh yeah mm-hmm. like a hundred percent a hundred percent watch the movie based off of that completely. well and like moro feels like spielberg kind of yeah you know like it uh, I think that's the actual movie he was trying to make was yeah. was the 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 George Lucas Steven Spielberg story. 
Um, it feels that that feels like the part of him that's on screen. Yes. Um, you know, like we talked about, it yeah. feels very much like that. And the funny thing is, weirdly, not much else. I mean, yeah. they, it's all like the set pieces are directed with Spielberg's verve. Yeah. But I, I don't like. I don't get like a sense of his touch. Yeah. Much elsewhere, like his usual warmth. Yeah. And empathy. I didn't really feel that. Throughout yeah. It's not not there, but it's not as pronounced as it usually is. Yeah. Like it ultimately lands on this, you know, message of like reality is better, mm-hmm. which the book does too. And I'm glad the book does because there is it's dire straits in the book yeah. for a second. We're like, hang on a second. Is the message of this thing going to be the message I think it is? Yeah. Uh, and it's not. And I think that that goes actually kind of a long way with not making the movie like really shaky at the end. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But, yeah, to me, this feels like he just really wanted to get into Halliday, but mm-hmm. told Mark Rylance, hey, be George Lucas. Yeah. Huh. No, I agree with that interpretation, actually. Yeah, and it's really interesting, actually. Yeah. It's re- Especially once you have that added layer of him being Lucas, you're like, oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. I totally see it. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's the most warmth and affection right there in, mm-hmm. the, in, in that in scene with Halliday yeah. throughout the entire movie. Yeah, so, it's pretty good. That scene's pretty good, man. That scene is very well done. It almost redeemed the movie, but then it went yeah. on like another 15 minutes. It afterwards. goes on for a long time. Like, like, you know, I'm not one that won't harp on Spielberg and his endings, but that, that to me was like the perfect place to end it. And then it kept going and like the stuff with like the people in the van and yeah. more people in the van and all that stuff. And then stuff. Spielberg slash Moro shows up. And yeah, like, yeah. Like, you need to have Moro show up at the end and put like, yeah. a button on it. Because the button that he put on, there was already a button on it. Like, it when you put a button on a button, there's too many buttons. Yeah. I did like, I think I think he played this as a joke. Like them trying to like just have a minute to yeah. celebrate right. and the doors kept opening yeah. and then being like, what the hell, no, man? I, I got like the visual humor of yeah. it but like I don't think people did in general yeah I don't, it didn't play that way or correctly with people okay yeah, it felt like clunky in how the joke was executed so my audience kind of got a bit of the giggles near mm-hmm. the end there um because when he was gonna go sign the contract uh some guy said read the fine print and everyone thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> and I was like all right yeah <laughs> you're not in the movie a-hole like um and just kind of from there on out everyone had little comments about what was happening and i was like what the hell that to me is an indication that the movie kind of lost people yeah. at some point like, yeah i feel like there was a natural cathartic moment mm-hmm. that was achieved with wirelands closing the door and then people want to like let something out after that and yeah. the movie continues to go and so like it's very frustrating yeah um I, my unpopular Ready Player One opinion is that I think it would have been hilarious if he would have hit the off button. Uh, yeah, like the joke of him tripping into it. I was like, that would be, I would have been pretty okay with that. Yeah. Like that would have been pretty great. Yeah. Agreed. Um, uh, what else is there to talk about this thing? I, I, not a lot. I have <laughs> one thing. This is the one thing that I kind of glommed onto that really keeps me from writing the movie off as bad because the script is atrocious, but. There's this sort of the Spielberg parts make up for it to be just kind of an okay movie, and the the Lucas thing goes a long way with me. I really like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this great thing that was pointed out to me after. It's the most subtle thing in the movie by like a country mile. He goes and 
they, you know, there's there's the the sort of nerd test that Artemis gives to Parzival about how much he knows about Halliday. And he says, like, you know, his favorite song is Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. And then he says his favorite video is Aha Take on Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, great music video. Absolutely would understand how that would yeah. be someone's favorite music video. Two, there's a little part where Spielberg recreates shot for shot that music video in the movie. It's when he meets up with Artemis and IOI finds the guy with the tattooed face mm-hmm. and they come and invade like Artemis's uh, yeah, safe yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. It's when they're running away yeah. from them, he recreates a, a small little sequence from the AHA Take on Me music mm-hmm. video. And it's it's gender swapped because it's like Artemis stays behind yeah, yeah, to yeah. fight them off, but it's the it's shot for shot. Like if you uh, if you if you think yeah. about it and then see like and then watch the video, That's it's true. the people are chasing after the lead singer of Aha and the girl from the video, mm-hmm. and they like run through this thing and then he like pushes her through this little square in the wall and closes the door and then turns around to face them. Yeah. They do that, but it's Artemis is the one who puts Parzival through it. And I was like, see, that's the stuff right there. Yeah. Like that's the Post. stuff that that like that's like the Spielberg touch to me of yes. like, you know, just like a eh, little little bit there, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, that's the stuff that keeps me from, like, totally writing the whole thing off. Yeah. However, <laughs> the scrub is two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, and way it's way too long. Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot to not like about it. And there's, like, three pretty solid things about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe, like, one larger point discussion to close out on. I... I don't think it actually like effectively leverages '80s stuff. Nope. At all. Like, and this even reflected, and this made me think of it in the runtime. Like a good '80s movie, like was about ninety minutes. So. <laughs> yeah. But like, it didn't. It, it didn't feel like an adventure movie. Like, it yeah. didn't Capture that tone or that. Well, spirit. okay. So here's my question: What's the audience for this movie? Exactly. I, yeah, I don't even know. Exactly. You think kids give a damn? The, no. No. Like, uh, I don't know. Is it, I mean, like the thing is, that I can't really say it's people who grew up in the eighties and had kids now because it's like, like not really not a kid really movie. That. It's a PG thirteen movie, and it's not like a hardcore PG thirteen. But there's like, you know, it's kind of violent. There's some swearing, but there's also like the references are just like a kid would be like, what? Is, when? Yeah. Yeah, like, no kid knows what The Shining is. I, I don't know. I just don't get that. Like, I don't feel like it was shot like an 80s movie. Nope. It, it just feels to me like a really weird exercise in 80s nostalgia, but not effectively using that. So, nostalgia. do you think that's because Spielberg actually doesn't give a crap about it? And he intentionally kind of downplayed it? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he even downplays the aspect, his involvement. I mean, and so yeah. that's, I think... Partially because he doesn't want to be, he he wants to be humble, right? But uh, yeah, I kind of feel like that might be what it is. Like, but then it's like, well, why did you even make this if you're gonna downplay it to that level? Yeah, no, I agree. It, it just felt very weird. Like you saw those like classic posters that they tried to go. Oh my make, god! Like, for the advertising of this movie, where they're <clears> trying to <throat> reference other movies. Mm-hmm. And, like, this movie doesn't really, like, evoke those same kind of feelings no. to me No, and all. it doesn't, like, it's weird because there's, like, the references aren't all 80s references. Like, there's no. Overwatch and Last Guardian and, like, uh, what's the, what's the, the Space Pew Pew one? Halo. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, that stuff, and I actually kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the Iron Giant, obviously. Um, I actually kind of like that they, they made it like, well, not everyone's into the 80s on this mm-hmm. universe. Um, and, but it just never, like, does anything with any of it. They're just kind of yeah. there. And, and it doesn't, like, <clears throat> even, like, the structure of, like, mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. Or the 80s movies. Yeah, there's not, like... The screenplay mucks up all the cinematic grammar yeah. of the movie, but then Spielberg doesn't use the video game grammar of the premise very well either. No, like, yeah, like I, there's not like an emphasis on like health bars or yeah. you know, like like I don't know like any of the visual iconography that you associate with the video. Well, game yeah. Did anywhere. you see um? Did you see Jumanji? Uh, no, Jumanji does a really good job with all those mm-hmm. sort of like the grammar of video games translated to a movie right. of like them kind of being like, oh crap, we're in the game now. Yeah. I think it's because it's a surprise to the people, so they have to by default figure it out. Mm-hmm. We're following a group of people who already know how this works, yeah. but we don't know how it works, and you need to explain that yeah, to us. Right. Um, so in the in the in Jumanji, we're on the same level with the characters mm-hmm. because they have never been in a video game before, yeah. so they have to poke around and be like, oh okay, when I you know like do a pledge of allegiance hand over my heart thing it brings up my stats and like i can see Uh, what exactly okay so maybe i need to go watch this that movie it's the best video game movie ever made yeah (laughs) hands down like far like easily the best the best use of like video game stuff in a movie like the way they use npcs is really smart the Mm -hmm. way they use like navigation mechanics is really smart the way they use inventory and yeah use it all like the only like real video game usage is the extra life concept yeah at the end of the film yeah the rest of it could just be any old generic fantasy world or whatever and and it wouldn't have really changed much yeah so like from that standpoint i was actually like really disappointed in like i know i was expecting to not like everything being a reference but then it's like if you're gonna make a reference movie then i don't know use them effectively yeah so yeah it's like both it's we it's this weird like nebulous thing of like two on the nose but also not far enough yeah i don't know also um So has Ogden Morrow just been plugged into the Oasis for five years? I, I totally did not understand. I thought he was dead or something. And like, so, but like, so is he working for that company? So I thought he got bought out. So why is he? I don't understand any of that. So it seemed like he like got bought out, but then they were like low key still buddies near the end, yeah. and like he got him to help him with this. But he's the butler at Halliday's Journals, right? And so the only way for that to like in my brain. The only way for that to be a thing is if he's like constantly there, there, people. like unless he ma- they made him an NPC. Yeah, uh, uh, right. Because it seems like it seems like they can. It seems like they can uh, uh, access that whenever. It seems like it's always open. So does he just stand like? Yeah. Do like hundreds of people every day come and bother him? Yeah. Or? Just tw- has he just been awake for five years? Like yeah. I, I don't understand. There's sometimes where people are like, "Where's the butler?" Is, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'll go help myself then. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was just this weird layer of like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Like it kind of works. Like I kind of I like it. it 
in my brain, I see it. Like, I see what they meant by it. Yeah. But it, like, then you think about it for a half second. And you're like, wait, has he just like, been standing? Yeah, like, logistically, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the world building thing where it's, yeah. kind of, it's just like, this is stupid. Yeah. But, um... Anyway, any final thoughts? <laughs> no, um, I liked the in the speaking of the journals. I liked when they were reviewing the footage of the office party, mm-hmm. and Parzival was kind of telling the butler like how to manipulate the footage. Yeah, I thought that was like kind of novel. I don't know. It was like cool. I liked it. I liked the visuals that they used for mm-hmm. that sequence. Yeah, and like the way he was able to kind of manipulate it, and like, yeah, I was. It was this cool like technical thing where I was like, oh man, I wonder how they mm-hmm. shot that. You know? Yeah, no, I really like that. Uh, I like how like this the, the kind of diorama like mm-hmm. look of them. Like, mm-hmm. It's almost like a a Disney kind of like yeah. museum thing. Going yeah. On. Um, it, no, like there's a lot of good visual stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just. Once again, it's strung around the story that is garbage. Yeah, it's yeah. Like the actual good. set pieces themselves are decent. Um, yeah, <clears> but but there's and if the movie was literally just like those just colliding into each other, mm-hmm. I would think I think it would be pretty good. But yeah, it would be. There's like a, an hour plus yeah. worth of other crap. There's though. a lot of downtime between the first yeah. and second gate. It's weird because you get kind of a lot of stuff up front, and then you get okay, we're 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 after this first gate right out yeah. the gate of the movie, um, and then there's a lot of downtime between the first and second gate, and then the second and third gate. There's no downtime, and they're like, "Oh no, IOI has found it," and it's like, "What the hell?" Like, yeah. wait, it's been like ten minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, it's it's really weird yeah. with that stuff. Yeah, the pacing is very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that opening one take shot through the stacks of him like going past all the people oh, like yeah, in the Oasis. That's like good. really good visual world building. I think mm-hmm. of like here's how people use the Oasis. Like this kind of older guy is like a good boxer, and this like, yeah. like overweight lady is like a stripper, and like yeah. you know you see you see all this stuff. Of, I think it, I think that because deli- I think that delivers on the 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 theme of you know you can be whoever you want in the mm-hmm. oasis unfortunately isn't it also played over like the 10 minute long monologue yes and that reduces mm-hmm. the quality of that because then i just focus more on what they're trying to communicate uh, auto through language rather yeah than through visuals yeah i i kind of checked out of that opening exposition and just yeah. started looking around like i was yeah. just like oh neat <laughs> you know like <laughs> Yeah, I, it kind of felt like in Jurassic Park when they like get over Mr. DNA really fast and they're like, "Wait, look at that! Like, let's let's <laughs> force the uh, the lap bar up and go talk to the scientists." Yeah, um, I, it was that moment of like, "Oh, the, I'm not going to focus on what you want me to look at. Like, I'm just going to look around at what all these people are doing." And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I feel like the the argument that Spielberg doesn't have it anymore is also really stupid in the sense that. Uh, you know, one, we talked about the verve that the set pieces have, but also the post got nominated for best picture. Like, yeah. I think people who have lost it don't get nominated for best picture. Usually <laughs> even yeah. like, you know, you say what you want about the Academy, but like, it's usually, they did something like people somewhere responded to the movies that get nominated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think like Lincoln got nominated for best picture. Bridge mm-hmm. of spies got nominated for best picture. Uh, the post got nominated for best picture. Like, that's too many, that's too many, they didn't win, but it's too many, you know, being looked at by the awards um, to be like, 
I think he's lost it. Yeah. I think ultimately at the end of the day, when people go and say he's lost it, it's more the more saying it's like He hasn't made an action movie in a minute. It's like wasted opportunities mm. and like, you know, obviously with his age, time is a finite thing. Yeah. And we're only gonna get so many more movies out of him. And yeah. so there's a sense of like Oh, you know, like we need to make sure that everything that he makes is kind of like worth it and like meaningful or something that like only he is capable of. Mm -hmm. And so if it doesn't, if it falls short, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. or doesn't meet that criteria really, then it's a disappointment. See, I take the opposite stand of that where I treat kind of because of his age and I know like. That's a, he's like, pushing it. Yeah, I kind of treat. Yeah, I'm valuing it no yeah. matter what it is because I think ultimately his art doesn't belong to me. Like he has to make the art he wants to make, and then it's up to me whether or not I want to accept that. Yeah. And so for now, every time he's going to announce a movie and like actually get one over the finish line, mm-hmm. I'm going to be stoked to see it at least a little bit. You know, and the marketing for this movie was the damn worst. Yeah, this was bad. It was so bad. bad. So bad. But there was still this little part of me that was like, you know what? Like, it's still a Spielberg movie. Like, there's Mm -hmm. something that drew him into this. There's, you know, there's, even if there's one moment of Spielbergness in this movie, Mm -hmm. that's more than we had before. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But it's like, in some ways, I think it's kind of the same argument that people make about James Cameron, which is like, that guy but knows how to direct makes an movie, action bad scene. movies. Yeah, he does. You know, and like, and then for him to go and waste it on Avatar mm-hmm. for twenty years of his life now, mm-hmm. it's just like this, ugh, like frustration that people then go and twist and contort into weird ways, and now they say this guy's a bad director. He's losing yeah. it. And was like, no, he's just wasting it on something that doesn't deserve his time. That's but, true. I'm not the hugest Cameron fan, yeah. but I get it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, but I think, see, I think he, he, he's able to take those chops in something like Bridge of Spies and he puts them to use in like these sort of tense moments, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's always been like a tension guy. That's yeah. his thing. And, you know, his first few, his first three movies are like horror movies. Yeah. Well, uh, not Sugar Land Express. Um, and, uh, there's this sense of tension in one of the scenes in Bridge of Spies that's like I think only Spielberg could have pulled off. I There's agree with that. this sense sense of tension in some of the scenes in the post of like the going back and forth of are they going to publish the Pentagon papers? Are they not? Mm-hmm. Oh crap, they have them now. Oh crap, like the government's kind of going after them. The lawyers are telling them not to do this. Like the sort of all fronts war of words mm-hmm. that they're having that I think only Spielberg could pull off and like make work. Okay. Um, you know, and, and you know, in the post, like, even though I know the story that, like, they went ahead and published, I had this moment of, like, are they going to say no? Like, the, he does this really great ramping up of the tension to, like, the absolute, la- like, literal 11th hour yeah. to get the, the, the newspaper published before Meryl Streep's character is, like, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think to take a true story that's fairly well known mm-hmm. and get people to question whether or not it's going to happen in a movie that's based off of it that they've pretty explicitly said is a straightforward, you know, historical movie about this instead mm-hmm. of like an alternate take on it and still get them to be like, are they going to do it? Yeah. I think that's, that's there's something to be said about that still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's still, um, I don't know. I'm still going to see everything the man does <laughs> until he's not doing them anymore. Um, yeah, I'm we'll not. We'll see about Indy Five. <laughs> I'll see it. I'll see it. 
I'm a sucker for him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, besides, maybe Mark Rylance will be there. <laughs> um, maybe. You know, I he's got that Pope movie coming out that I think sounds interesting. Uh, t- really interested to see a Jewish director take on the Catholic Church. That seems... <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to be like an epic takedown. I think it's I think it's actually a story um, that's I think it's based off a novel and it just kind of happens to take place in the Vatican, like around the Vatican. Oh. That's not like a Dan Brown thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about like an artist or something. Hmm. Uh, Mark Rylance is going to play some sort of like cardinal or bishop or something that gets kidnapped or something like that. So I don't think it's going to be like friggin' Catholics. Like, I just can't see Spielberg making a movie like that. No. Um, oh, uh, one last thing. There's a great Sugarland Express reference in uh, Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. It's the part where he is... Um, it's, it's more narration, but he's <clears throat> laying on the dryer while oh. it's running, and he's like, lay- it's like his bed, because right. he's like, kind of Harry Potter, but not. And uh, he's like, laying on the dryer while it's running, and it's like, shaking him, and he's like, looking out the window at this big screen. Mm. And the way it's framed is exactly like a scene in Sugarland Express, where Goldie Hawn is talking to someone, and she's laying in the back of her car, looking out at a drive-in movie. Mm. And I was like, neat. <laughs> like, there's the... <laughs> I thought it was this great, like, that's like a Spielberg deep cut. Yeah. First off, and I was like... I like that that's the Spielberg nostalgia he decided to run with in this movie. Like, yeah. you know, people are expecting it. Fine. I'll give him Sugarland Express. <laughs> While in the trailer and his mother's sister's... <laughs> his mother's sister's boyfriend is... Possessive is... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Red box it. If you want. Yeah, or don't. Like <laughs> You're not missing YouTube anything. the set pieces. Yeah. That'll that'll be that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. That'll do pig. Yeah. YouTube the set pieces. That's what I gotta say about this one. Mm-hmm. Um we'll be back. I I don't know what your schedule is like, Mike. Would you wanna come back next week to talk about a quiet place? Oh shit. That's next week. Yeah. It comes out this weekend. I guess we'll be seeing you soon. Okay. Cool. Um, that is my most anticipated movie of the year, even above like an Avengers thing. Yeah. Uh, but Han Solo. <laughs> oh, yep. That's right. Therm Scissor Punch. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that or not. Yeah. Good Lord. I, I'll talk to you about that offline. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, it's my most anticipated movie of the year. And the reason I say that over, like, an Avengers thing is because, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy that. And, like, I kind of know. It's like the Starbucks, right? Like, the Marvel movies are like the Starbucks, right? You know? If I go to Starbucks, I know what I'm going to get. If I go to a Marvel movie, I basically know what I'm going to get. This one will be a little different, but we'll be back in three weeks to talk about that crap. Um, But Quiet Place is my most anticipated movie of the year. It's a trailer that just, like, hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Like, just, like... Boom! Mm-hmm. Deal with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <John> Krasinski. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I agro is not a word I would use to describe John Krasinski, but all of a sudden it was just like I'm here, you know. And it was like, all right, I guess I'll deal with this, Jim. Um, so I uh, shrug you, Jim guy. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, exactly. Um, man, I'm so interested to see how that movie plays out. Um, 
So yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about that. I'm actually really excited to see that movie. Me too. Really excited to see that movie. Also, it's only 90 minutes. <gasps> oh, thank you, God. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug? Nah. Book? Nah, sure. What the heck. I wrote a book <laughs> called The Aurora War. You should read it. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. People actually respond to it very well. I actually just had a conversation with another person today who read it. And oh, nice. said it was very good and they liked it. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, also, pro- possible book signing event coming soon. I wish I will provide more details on Cool. Um, <clears throat> April 16th, I will be at the Fox Theater here in Bakersfield, California to introduce a screening of Ghostbusters, uh, the 1984 version, not the 2016 version, and the first one, not the second one. Um, it, it'll be a good time. I've never seen Ghostbusters in a theater. Uh, if you listen to our 2016 Ghostbusters episode, you'll know I, I'm fine with Ghostbusters. It's not my favorite movie but it's like decent um but i'll be giving a small history lesson about the movie before uh before we screen it and it should be a good time um i will also be there on april 23rd is what i want to say yep uh introducing a screening of my favorite movie musical of all time singing in the rain so that'll be a good time i've never seen that in a theater either so um, come out to both of those things if you want. Tickets are only $5. Um, doors at 6, show at 7. Um, and also, while you're there, check out uh, Bubble Pop Art Gallery. Um, they are an art gallery right next door to um, the Fox that is having special art shows themed around uh the screenings that we're doing over there this month's theme is who you gonna draw and it's a it's an unofficial ghostbusters art exhibit they get some really cool stuff from artists all around the country um and they usually have prints available you can actually buy the pieces of art if you want or you can buy prints of the artwork Uh, i picked up uh a legit la la land piece of art um the last time i was there so uh, yeah, they're really cool. It's some, it's super cool that something like that exists in Bakersfield to mm-hmm. me. Um, so go support them. They're also friends of the show. Um, Say Lively and and Kevin and, and uh, Ryan. And uh, yeah, just go check out all of that. It's, it's a good time. Um, they are going to be there this Friday as well with E.T. Um, I won't be there for that screening, but Bubble Pop will be open and they're going to show E.T. on the big screen. So if you want to see a Spielberg movie, uh, that's uh, just kind of okay as far as I'm concerned, but better than Player One, um, go uh, Ready Player One, I guess. Uh, go go see that. Tickets are only $5 to that as well. It'll be a good time. The Fox is a great venue to watch a movie in. Um, you can find my writing at wordofthenerd.com. Hopefully something cool I can talk about next week um is coming down the line but we'll see and then uh i think that's it yeah um until next time a fanboy knows a hater i was about to go and do that myself (laughs) 